0: let us turn now in God's holy word to Joshua chapter 20. Joshua chapter 20. Joshua chapter 20. There is a lot of news today about people seeking refuge, people seeking refuge in the news, people often fleeing from war, from danger, or often people just simply seeking a better life, where they're fleeing from is a dangerous place. Now, when we see this, often our hearts will go out to many of those people. It's a powerful image, isn't it? Those in need of help, those in need of a place of safety and comfort, those in search, really, for a home. If you watch movies or read books, this is often the theme, isn't it? It's a powerful theme of seeking rescue. Makes us look for a hero, doesn't it, in these stories? Someone who will help someone out of trouble. Well, friends, as we're going to see here this morning, there's no greater rescue story. There's no greater account of any rescue than that which is in the Word of God. There's no greater danger as well and need of rescuing than that which comes out of our own sin. Rescuing we need essentially from the wrath and justice of Almighty God. And there's none greater to rescue us than God himself. The only one indeed friends who can rescue us. This passage we're going to look at in Joshua chapter 20 teaches us this. It draws a picture a picture of redemption and fleeing from danger into a place of safety. I wonder if for a moment I could speak to the boys and girls. Boys and girls, do any of you read? You read books or stories. And when you find in those books and stories, do you ever like when you come to the pages with the nice, colorful pictures? Do you ever see that? That's nice, isn't it? And you go, ah, that's what he's talking about. You see these nice, colorful pictures in the middle of these books. And you think, ah, I understand it a little bit better now. You like that, don't you? That's what it looks like. Well, boys and girls, there's a picture of redemption and the gospel here in the Bible. One that teaches us To go away and to flee from danger. That is our sin. And that God rescues us, saves us by himself. And that is the picture we're going to read of this morning. The cities of refuge. Joshua chapter 20. Let us hear God's holy and infallible word. The Lord also spoke to Joshua saying speak to the children of Israel saying appoint for yourselves cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses that the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood when he flees to one of those cities and stands at the entrance of the gate of the city and declares his cause in the hearing of the elders of that city, they shall take him into the city as one of them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. Then if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not deliver the slayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unintentionally But did not hate him beforehand. And he shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment, and until the death of the one who is high priest in those days. Then the slayer may return and come to his own city and his own house, to the city from which he fled. So they appointed Kedesh in Galilee, in the mountains of Naphtali, Shechem. In the mountains of Ephraim. And Kirjath Arba, which is in Hebron, in the mountains of Judah. And on the other side of the Jordan, by Jericho eastward, they assigned Bezer in the wilderness on the plain, from the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth, and Gilead, from the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan, from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities appointed for all the children of Israel, for the stranger who dwelt among them, that whoever killed a person accidentally might flee there and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy word. Now, as we just read through that passage, you may still be thinking to yourselves, what Can this passage in Joshua possibly teach me today? Surely it's just about land being divided. And here are these cities provided for the specific function at that specific time. Now that is very true, this happened thousands of years ago. This happened when the people of God crossed over the Jordan River and entered into the promised land. And inherited a land that they neither deserved nor earned in any way, shape, or form. They entered Canaan by faith. They conquered Canaan by faith. If you look throughout the book of Joshua, it is a book of which God's people conquered over the enemies of the gospel. And it was by faith and by faith alone that they had this victory. They received an inheritance. Here we have these cities set apart for a specific function. But what do these cities set apart for this function of those who accidentally kill somebody? What could that possibly teach us today? We said before, what we're reading here, yes, literal history. Yes, what actually happened, but also a picture, a picture Much of the Old Testament is filled with pictures, types, and shadows. Pictures to teach us. Pictures to help us. Pictures to encourage us. Pictures to remind us of what we have in the gospel. To see the gospel. They saw with their very eyes an image which showed them the gospel. To learn of the grace of Almighty God. To see his character being shown. His care and his provision and all these things. Now you say, well, this is about somebody who is an unintentional killer. Well, dear friends, do we see the danger of our own sin? We ourselves have something to flee from. And a place to flee to. By God's grace, we flee to where mercy is. Where his city is. Where his high priest is. The Lord Jesus Christ. And dear friends, to where our God is. To where our God is. Number one, we're going to look at this chapter. And the first heading we're going to look at is this. God's proof of justice. God's proof of justice. The beginning of this passage shows the character of God. He is just, and he cares about justice. And he demonstrates this in the first three verses of this chapter. The Lord also spoke to Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint for yourselves cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there. And they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. Now we have to think for a second, what is the penalty for intentional killing? For intentional killing, being murder, It's a death penalty, isn't it? The death penalty. It says in Genesis 9:6, whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. We know from the sixth commandment. Exodus chapter 20, verse 13: you shall not murder. Now, what is murder? Is it all killing? We couldn't say that it's all killing. Not all killing is murder. Perhaps someone is trying to attack you or attack someone you love, and in that defense of that life, another life is taken. Well, that is self defense. That is the protection of life. That is really the essence of thou shalt not kill. Or perhaps it's in the midst of war, where the state has the sword. We notice from Romans chapter 13. But sometimes, like here, it's unintentional. There's no premeditation. There's no hatred or thought toward doing this. It's an accident. It's not intentional. The motive, therefore, is very important when it comes to murder. Again, verse 3 says this, that the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. God is so concerned that those who are innocent of this crime of murder, which warns death, would have their day in court, as they could say. Their case would be heard. There will not be, or there should not be, revenge sought by a friend. You can imagine the situation, can't you? My friend, somebody I love and care about, has been killed. How did it happen? Who did it? And before you know it, before the case can be properly heard, really what you have is revenge and not seeking out justice. But this system established a way that justice could be heard. Now, it doesn't mean that there's no consequences of killing. The person had to leave their home, their inheritance, and had to go to that city of refuge There are consequences. But this person, though innocent of murder, should flee. There's a danger. So what can we learn about the gospel? The gospel from this passage. Dear friends, do you think that God will overlook justice? When we look throughout the entire Bible, we see many examples of how much God cares about justice. God is just. Do we think that he will ignore our sins? It will not happen. God is just. And the thing about it, friends, has your sins been dealt with at the cross? Have you looked to Jesus Christ? Because he won't overlook your sins. There's two possibilities. Either Christ died in your place. Or you will have eternal death for eternity the wrath of God. They, those are the two choices before us. But all that God does is just in every one of his dealings. He has appointed a day, a day of courts you could say, when all these things will be heard. God will not set aside justice for you. If you have been justified in his sight, it is because Christ bore the wrath of due to our sin. He will not ignore our crimes. Justice will be served. But what about our crimes against God? Are they intentional? We may say, well, it's an accident. But dear friends, sin comes from an animosity in our hearts toward God and from Adam and to all who Adam represented in the Garden of Eden. We all have by nature this hatred toward God. And it is only by the grace of God that any of us can come here this morning and look to Jesus Christ and to love him and to cherish him. By nature, we are one of those that hate God. And you may say, well, does anyone truly hate God? Well, it talks about this in Exodus chapter 20. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, It says this You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Those who hate me. There are those who hate God, there are those who have an animosity toward God and are guilty before God. And that guilt brings on the death penalty. The death penalty, eternal death. It says in verses 5 and 6 of our text in Joshua chapter 20. Then if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not deliver the slayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unintentionally but did not hate him beforehand. And he shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment and until the death of the one who is high priest in those days. Then the slayer may return and come to his own city and his own house to the city from which he fled. Those who reject Christ's free and open offer of salvation hate God. I'll even go even further. Those who will not bow to Christ wish to overthrow God. Now that is impossible, of course. But they, their father is the devil. Those are our two options. The devil once said, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will be like the most high. What do you think of the gospel here this morning, dear friends? That Jesus is the truth, the way, and the life. And if you've been born again of the Spirit of God, you look to Him by faith and by faith alone, you'll say, yes, He is the truth, the way, and the life. My guilt will rightly bring the wrath of God. I deserve to be slain for my sins. However, justice has been satisfied in my place. And no, I will not have to face it because of Jesus Christ. And because of him alone. There is two ways before us dear friends. The way of life and love. By trusting Jesus. Or the way of death. The way of death. By nature we're all guilty. And the only reason we're here at all. Is because of God's grace. Because of God's grace. Do we see his perfect justice? We will not see perfect justice in this world. There will be times when we'll we'll see things in the news and the media that will make us so angry. How could that happen? But there's coming a day in the new heavens and the new earth, dear friends. Righteousness will dwell on this earth. This earth will be renewed, made new. Corruption will be removed. All sin and presence of sin will be removed. Because our God cares so deeply of justice coming as that day. So number one, God's proof of justice. Number two, God's provision of grace. God's provision of grace. God has provided the way to be safe, to find refuge for all who will seek refuge in him without in any way setting aside his justice. Our God cannot change because he is perfectly just, he is perfectly right, and he's perfectly holy. If he changed in any way, he would cease to be God. Our God is the one true and living God without beginning, without end. Without shadow of turning, glorious, pure light, pure truth in all that he does. He does not set aside his justice. But yet, in all that, he provides a way for us to be safe from the wrath and justice of God himself. There is a way for us to flee to this place of refuge. There is a way we can be viewed as innocent. Now this passage is about those who are innocent of this specific crime. We have a problem. By nature, we are not innocent. By nature, we are sinners. It says this in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is Death. There's a death penalty. The wages of sin, what does it earn? But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The city is for those viewed as innocent. Declared innocent. Even more than that, declared to be just. Declared to be just. It says once more in verse 5 when he flees, and who is that person who flees to one of these cities? The person accidentally or unintentionally. In this specific area, they are innocent. And in verse 5 it says, Then if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not deliver the slayer into his hand, because he struck his neighbor unintentionally. This is not to say that this person is completely without sin. But in this specific area, they are innocent. They're innocent and will not be handed over to the avenger of blood. If we come to this city, dear friends, in our own works, will we be seen as innocent? As we give our case, as it were, before God, as we present our clothes, which is our own works, before God, will we be allowed into that city? The innocent party will give a defense of their innocence, but what will we do? Our God knows our motivations. Even though we make excuses, He knows our thoughts and He knows the meditations of our thoughts. He formed us, He knows us, He sustains us, He keeps us. He knows our guilt and He knows everything that is going through our minds right now. He knows of our guilt. How can we come into the city, the city of the living God? It says in romans three twenty three down to twenty six For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood, through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins. That were previously committed to demonstrate, at the present time, his righteousness. That he might be just. And the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Do you see that? In justifying us, he never sets aside his justice. But he is the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Justification. Declaring one to be righteous. A declaration from the court of heaven. Righteous, just, holy. How? How is that even possible? By grace. By God's mercy. By the work of Christ. He no longer sees your work, dear friends. if, If we did present our own works, we'd be in a lot of trouble, wouldn't we? All of us. Even today. Our greatest deeds are filthy rags before the Lord. But what happens if our rags are removed? Our own works are removed. We're washed clean. And new robes, royal robes are placed upon us. Are we naked anymore? We're clothed not by our own works, but by the righteous works of God, of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus kept the law perfectly. In every moment, he obeyed, his parents while he was under their roof. When in every moment he loved his father perfectly. He never sinned once in thought, in word and deed. And his righteousness becomes yours by faith in him. So when you come before and to enter into this city, no longer in your own guilt, he sees innocence he sees without blemish, washed clean. But it's only for those who look to Jesus Christ by faith. It is only for those who see the problem of their sin in the first place. It is only those who will say, yes, this is what my sin deserves. Anyone else, they will not look to Jesus Christ. But perhaps you're here this morning and you think you're a good person and you don't think you're that bad we think well yes my neighbor really needs to hear this message but do you see your own need to hear this message all of us need to hear this message all of us need Christ all of us need forgiveness all of us need a righteousness which is not our own An alien righteousness, or else we will be handed over to the slayer justly. Number three now. Number three, God's pleading of case. God's pleading of case. So we've looked at God's proof of justice, God's provision of grace. Now, number three, God's pleading of case. As we've seen, we cannot plead our own case yes we're sinners but even more than that we're just mere creatures we are but dust and coming before the infinite holy and righteous God it's not just that he is stronger and more powerful than us he is the creator he is the infinite God and we are finite creatures how can we approach God yes our sin is a problem but more than that approaching the almighty and eternal God. Another must plead for us. Another must represent us before the throne of grace. Verse 4 in our text, and when he flees to one of these cities and stands at the entrance of the gate of the city and declares his case in the hearing of the elders of that city, they shall take him into the city as one of them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. Now this man who is innocent of this crime can plead his own case because he is innocent of this. And if he's found to be innocent, he will be brought in and given the protection. But we don't have innocent hands. We cannot make that case on our own behalf. We cannot say, I am innocent of this. None of us could say that. It says in Psalm 15, verse 1 and 2, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle or who may dwell in your holy hill. Or another way of saying that is this, who may come into your presence, who may enjoy sweet fellowship with you. Who is that person? Verse 2, he who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. Who is that person but Jesus Christ alone? None other can come into his presence because he is the one who has, as the psalm says, walks uprightly. Jesus walked uprightly at every single moment. He worked righteousness and he spoke the truth in his heart. He is the one who can approach before God. An unblemished record, sinless, spotless, And Jesus can represent us as well because not only is he true man, and that's very important, so he can represent us, but also true God. The second person of the Trinity. This Christ, this King, this Son of God is without beginning and without end. And in his divine nature, he is without shadow of turning. He is one with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He may approach God representing them because he is true God and true man. He is one with the Father. He can come. And plead for us. Isn't that, a, isn't that a wonderful thing to realize? When we come before God in our prayers, as weak and as feeble as they will be, all of our prayers are like this. Our, the acceptance of our prayers is not how good of a day we've had, how, how, how much our heart was in it. And yes, that is important too. But it is the one who stands at the right hand of the majesty on high, he is the one who makes the difference. He pleads on our behalf. It says this in First John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And an advocate is someone who comes to our aid. He pleads our case on our behalf. He comes alongside us to aid us and to help us. But how about you here this this Sabbath day? Perhaps this truth of God, of how he pleads, the Lord Jesus Christ pleads on our behalf, is what you need to hear this morning. Perhaps you are here and you are Worried about death. You are worried, perhaps, that you do not have enough faith. And you wonder, as you put your head on the pillow, whether this will be your last. And you wonder if you have the faith that the Bible speaks about looking unto Jesus. Jesus. Dear friends, are you looking to Jesus? Our faith, all of our faith, is weak. It is weak. But are we looking to Jesus? Even if our faith is the size of a mustard seed, which is the smallest possible amount, as long as we are looking, To Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now, I will encourage you also to grow in that faith, to be built up in that faith, to have assurance of that faith. But it is not the strength of your faith that will save you. It is the intercessor, him who will plead on your behalf. If he is your only hope, and you don't look to yourself, you don't see any hope in yourself, you look inside yourself and you see only weakness, and you look to the Savior, you will be with him for eternity. If you're looking with the eye of faith, with no confidence in yourself, would Christ reject you? Think about this. Our hope is not in our performance. See, the danger is we think, my faith isn't enough, my, anything isn't enough. But Jesus says, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, as the more we look at our own guilt and, and everything else, it becomes a heavy burden that will weigh us down. Our performance will never, ever be good enough. To wipe away that guilt. It is Jesus and Him alone. It's a wonderful promise, isn't it? It is a wonderful promise if you are here and you are weary and you're exhausted in your faith. And there are times you may say, oh, I just I want to withdraw from everything. I, I don't even know if I can face church today or whatever the case may be in your life. I have nothing, if you have nothing to offer God, you see that. None of us have anything to offer God. Christ wants you to come. If you have no rest here this morning, Christ wants you to come and find rest. Come and have that burden removed. Home, do not plead in your own name, your own righteousness. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. And that brings us to our final point. Number four, God's protection of the just. God's protection of the just. So we've looked at God's proof of justice, God's provision of grace, God's pleading of, of, of case. And finally, number four, God's protection of the just. Verses 6 and also verse 9. And he shall dwell in that city. This is speaking of that person who unintentionally kills somebody who's innocent of murder. And he shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment. And until the death of the one who is high priest in those days. Then the slayer may return and come to his own city and his own house to the city from which he fled. And also verse 9. These were the cities appointed for all the children of Israel and for the stranger who dwelt among them. And whoever killed a person accidentally might flee there and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation. And again, this is if this person is innocent the consequences of leaving his home are now over at the death of the high priest. But do we have another picture of the gospel here? The high priest spoken about here. Do we not have a high priest who ever lives to intercede on our behalf? Do we not have a high priest who though he once died will ever live? It says... This in Hebrews chapter eight, verses one to three. Now this is the main point of these things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which is which the Lord erected, and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. Will our high priest ever die in the way that is spoken of these? There were many high priests. There was a line of them came one after another. But we have a greater high priest. One of the things about the book of Hebrews, we've read from it earlier, is that Jesus is better. You have all these things, all these types and shadows that point toward the substance of the covenant, the Lord Jesus Christ, remember this, Jesus is better. We have a high priest who will never die. He died once for all, but never to die again. It says in Hebrews 2, verse 17, therefore in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God To make propitiation for the sins of the people. And that word propitiation means turning wrath away. Wrath satisfying offering. The high priest here died, you could say a natural death. And we know from the Bible death is not natural. But he died a so-called natural death. But our high priest here ensures our constant protection within the walls of the city. We, we await a celestial city, a heavenly city to come. Those of you who are fans of the book Pilgrim's Progress will know which I speak of. We are journeying on a difficult journey toward the heavenly home, our celestial city. And the Lord will bring us there one day. That city has the protection of our high priest. Yes, we are thinking about the protection from the wrath of God. We need saving from our sins. We need saving from the consequences of our sins. But there's more to God's protection. Even the smaller things, and I, I say that reverently, the smaller things in life. We trust Him for our soul. We trust Him for our eternal home. Do We trust Him with the little things in life. The things that cause us such anxiety and worry at times. Do you trust them with your children? And I know as a father myself, we worry, don't we? We worry what they'll be like in 10 years' time. We wonder what will happen. But do we pray for them? Do we trust God with them? Do we say, no, no, they don't belong to me. They belong to God. Do you see that even... Your prayers are weak, but there's the protection of the high priest. And when we come before God, the high priest is there. We have a faithful and merciful high priest. What then shall we say in these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? Trust God for the little thing. Is there anywhere safer when you're making big life decisions, though it may not be in black and white in the scriptures, or what job you are to pick, or what college course you are to pursue, or where you are to live, or even to marry or something like that, meditate upon the word of God. Pray before God. Because there's nowhere safer and wiser than the will of God. You young people here, boys and girls, the place where you probably feel safest is in your own home, in your own bed, where mommy and daddy are close by. If there's any trouble, you can run to them, can't you? Do you ever feel a bit worried if your mommy and daddy are away for a while? Where do they go? Because you feel safe around mommy and daddy. But boys and girls... There's nowhere safer than in the presence of God. There's nowhere safer, it's far safer than with with mommy and daddy, is the place of refuge found in God. Found in God. With its high walls, with its strength, its power and its might, protected by God himself from all the enemies and all the wish to do us harm. Refuge is really cherished, isn't it? If we look at the media, if we look at images from Ukraine and other places, refuge is cherished in the midst of a war zone, isn't it? In the midst of disaster. But dear friends, we've been in the midst of a war zone for 6,000 years, since the fall of Adam. And there's been a war taking place around us whether we realize it or not, between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, from Genesis 350, there is a battle going on. and we will either seek refuge in the victor, the one who will be victorious, who will crush the head of the serpent, or we will be, and remain, part of the seed, the defeated seed, the seed of the serpent. Are you a citizen of the city of refuge? Is this your home? Is this where you feel safe? Is this where you know you have protection? Because where we feel safest is often where we'll run to in times of trouble. Where do you run to in times of trouble? Do you run to sin or do you run to God? Do you run to the things of this world? Or do you run to God's protection? Amen.